Well, if that didn't compel you to do daily Bible reading, I don't know what to do for you. I don't, I don't know how to help. Um, the reality that Jesus was the prophet, priest, and king who read the scriptures daily to keep his heart from pride and to think the thoughts of God. We live in a culture inundated by all kinds of messages. We want to baptize our entire being in the word of God every year. And so we welcome you into the scripture reading as a family, yeah? yeah. A merry almost Christmas, yes? We're getting close. And... Um, it will seem to you as though I um, am going to do exactly what Jack did, but here's the truth. I called Jack before telling him the text that I was going to preach out of, and he said, I'm so excited. I feel like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, Isaiah 9, 6, and I was blown away because it's the text out of the whole Bible. There's lots you can choose for Christmas for your one message, and that was the exact scripture, and it gave me faith that Emmanuel is here with us today. That God is with us and wants to meet us in that particular way. And so I'm thankful. So let's just open up our hands this morning as we enter in. We're in the presence of God, but the great key is to become aware that we're in the presence of God. And so we just take a moment and we thank you, God, that you are Emmanuel here with us. We consecrate this space to you today. I thank you for this family, and I thank you that you are with every single person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's been a while since I have gotten to speak to the family. We only gather once a month, and we have so many great teachers. Um, so I'm excited. I've been really excited to share again with a family, and it's wonderful, despite so many who I know that are ill, that this many have gathered together to just worship Jesus and be together. I love being with the family. We're in the season of Advent. I didn't grow up in the church, so I had to learn all these fancy words. I don't know how many. Uh, if you grew up unchurched, you probably just grew up with more aware of Santa Claus than Emmanuel. And, um, and I certainly didn't know what Advent was. And so Advent simply means, it's a word that simply means arrival. Can everyone say arrival? Arrival. arrival. That's what it means. It signifies the start of an event or the arrival of a person. In Christian communities around the world, Advent is a four-week season, and we as our home churches have been entering into that. We've entered into hope and joy. This week would normally be love, and the next week would be peace. Because I've only got one gathering, I may just, I think I'm going to wrap them all up together. Just go ahead. It's more fun. Um, but we stop, and we slow, and we remember Advent's a time to settle our souls, to consider the miracle of our Messiah coming to dwell with us. It's a time to embrace meekness and weakness and our raw humanity. It's a time to feel anticipation again, to wait eagerly. Of course, we know Emmanuel has come, but we intentionally place ourselves Back in the story, and we wait. We wait, and what we do is we wonder again 
at the miracle of miracles. We wait and we wonder. We want to be swept into the miracle of God's coming. So I want to, in the spirit of what Advent is, I want to slow down for just a moment. And I want to quiet our hearts and be still and recognize that we are in the presence of God. And so if we can, just close our eyes again. This is what I practice every single morning, and it's probably my, my most difficult practice, is to simply be aware that I exist and God exists and we are here together. Not to ask anything, but just to be aware. It's like the loving gaze of two. And so we slow down and we quiet ourselves for just a moment. And I want to ask one simple question, and we're just going to wait in the presence of God. What is my soul waiting for? longing for and most need of? What is my soul waiting for, longing for, and most need of? I'm trusting that as we're waiting that something is rising from our soul. Some longing, some need, maybe that in the hurry of life we weren't paying attention to. And holding that precious thing in your soul I want to read this promise again. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the Father's response to the desire of your soul. This is the Father's response to the desire of every soul on the planet. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government is on his shoulders. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All that you long for and all that you desire is in the presence of Emmanuel, God 
with us. If you want to open your eyes, you can, or you can stay with your eyes closed and stay in the presence of God. You have permission to encounter God irrespective of anything I'm saying. That would be the greatest compliment ever. I'm trusting that as you're holding that space, that this will be the entire environment of our day. The greatest secret on earth, I'm, I'm going to tell it to you. Are you ready? The greatest secret on earth, in my humble opinion, is continual, unlimited access to the presence of God. It's a secret that is open and available, but sometimes we're terrified that it's not true. That when we're quiet, that it may not be true. But it is the greatest secret on earth. You have continual, unlimited access to the presence of God. And in the presence of God, is all that you long for and all that you need. I want to read this beautiful quote from A.W. Tozer. Any A.W. Tozer fans out there? Okay, wow. I'm in good company. Oh, he just writes things that stun me. Recently, I've been working my way through the knowledge of the holy again, just because I love to know God. Here's a phrase I use a lot. What I know of God is a fraction of God. And I will spend all of eternity unfolding God. So Holy Spirit, help me. This quote is amazing. The yearning to know what cannot be known, to comprehend the incomprehensible, to touch and taste the unapproachable, arises from the image of God in the nature of humanity. Deep calls unto deep and the soul senses its origin and longs to return to its source. How can this be realized? Do you feel the frustration of that? How can this be realized? The answer of the Bible is simply, through Jesus Christ our Lord, in Christ and by Christ, God affects complete self-disclosure. God came to us in the Incarnation. The yearning of the soul to return to his source is built into the nature of every image bearer on earth. And only the source, the origin of that human can satisfy that human being. And we say, how can this be realized? And the answer of all of history and all the scripture is Jesus Christ. God has come to us, Emmanuel. You exist for the presence of God. This is wonderful news. Now, I want to go back in Isaiah because just a scripture without any context, it's wonderful, but it's not nearly as wonderful when it's surrounded, right? And so I want to go back to the context of Isaiah 9, 1 through 5. And I could geek out way too far, so I'm going to limit myself here. <laughs> like, the God story is always rolling through my mind, you know? And so, I'll just say this. 
The prophet Isaiah has warned of a coming judgment, and it is a dark hour as the world empire Assyria looms for takeover, and Isaiah is warning of the judgment to come that will be like a flood that will wash them completely away as Israel. I mean, that's intense, right? If you put it in our modern day, you can only imagine what that would be like to announce a word. It's cool. America is going to be washed away by a world empire. Just gone. It's like, that's a word, right? That's the context of Isaiah 6, 9-6. So let's read 1 through 5. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. A little context for verse 1. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali were the two most northern tribes when the 12 tribes of Israel were settled. Therefore, geographically, they were the leading edge of foreign empires coming into Israel, which means they would be the first ones who were deported and destroyed by a foreign empire. And so they were humbled first by the Assyrian army. And Isaiah is saying, you will be humbled But there will be a day where that gloom in that same region and the oppression that is there will be washed away, right? It will be broken and changed. Let's go on to verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them and the bar across their shoulders and the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. They're about to be utterly destroyed by a foreign empire. But Isaiah is seeing ahead to a day of restoration, and he's announcing hope. Now, this is pretty wild, but into these verses is a glorious context of Advent. What does Advent mean again? Arrival. The waiting for someone. And Isaiah has built into these verses the whole of the God story, okay? I just want to show you this. This is wild. So let's look at this next one. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but in the future, he'll honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And then you see light and darkness and walking, In the garden, Adam and Eve were walking with God, and then they walked into darkness. In the beginning, God spoke into darkness, and he said, let there be light. And this is the Advent theme of hope. Where there is darkness, a light has come. In other words, the God of creation is going to move in restoration. Now, in the garden, there was a promise That promise was of a woman's seed who would come and crush the head of the serpent that brought about that darkness. And so that is the hope in creation. So you can see Isaiah writing in creation. He's like, okay, let's move to the next one. 
Look at this next verb. The people, uh, you've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. God would come to a man named Abram and he would promise him a blessing that would fill all the nations of the earth, but he would promise him what? A seed again a son, a seed. And through that seed, the blessing of all the nations would come and they would have to wait and wait and wait. And then he moves on to the next one. Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Judges. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. And you can see Jesus hiding in the story of the deliverers, a Passover that saved them from death, a tent of skin where God would dwell at the center of them, a moving through the Red Sea, a breaking of the yokes of slavery, and like Gideon, rising up in the judges to defeat a mighty army like Midian, a deliverer is coming, like Joshua, who would save them from their enemies and give them their inheritance, who would mark them with identity and welcome them into their inheritance. This is the one who is coming, like King David, who would rule. And so the Advent theme of love the liberating love of God to mark you with identity and to open up inheritance. And still they would wait. You can feel the God story mounting because this is what Advent is all about, right? And the next verse, he says, in every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and fuel for the fire. And this is the moment of Isaiah. The prophets... The prophets would come and they would speak into the long agonizing journey of Israel's unfaithfulness that would lead to judgment, exile at the hand of powerful, godless empires. And there was in the prophets the promise of shalom. And Isaiah shows up in one of the darkest hours of Israel's history, as we said, and he says judgment is coming, but then he promises hope. The hope that when Israel is cut down like a tree and falls down, a stump will be left and a holy seed will remain. The holy seed from the garden. The holy seed from Abraham. The holy seed protected through the era of the deliverers. The holy seed is now promised. And this holy seed is the only one who can save humanity from all that they are powerless unto and could satisfy humanity with all that they were created to long for. This holy seed will come. And this is the context. But this is 700 years before the moment. I'm talking bring you back to the 1300s with the Black Plague. I know some of us feel like it's the Black Plague right now. 700 years. Isaiah is speaking a word of hope. 700 years of waiting and longing. And during those years, it is the darkest night of Israel's history as they will be exiled, decimated. They'll have to return and just quietly and shabbily rebuild their lives and their nation and their community. And then 400 years of silence, they will wait 
and they will wait and they will wake and human yearning will grow greater and greater and greater, longing for the promise. How long, O oh Lord, this is Advent until you save? How long, O oh Lord? But their longing cannot hold a candle to God's longing love. You understand what Christmas is about? It is that God cannot stand the distance from you. Say that with me. God cannot stand the distance. Christmas is about satisfying the desire of God's heart, not just satisfying the desire of yours. Advent is about God getting what he's always wanted, and God has always wanted you. He's always wanted me. Longing love would not be denied, and God would move towards humanity. And now we get to verse 6. Yes? Amidst another powerful empire called Rome, and an emperor who declared himself the majestic son of God, and a madman named Herod, who was called the king of the Jews, you can understand the complexity of this arrival. One's called the son of God, another called the king of the Jews, and then in a nowhere town, an angel visits a teenage virgin in Nazareth in Galilee, and nine months later in Bethlehem. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Seven hundred years of waiting. And the arrival of God is the miracle of miracles. God in our skin. A God who knows what it's like to be in the womb. A single cell in the womb of a teenage girl. The infinite, uncreated God is now in cellular division. Somebody help me here. God knows the cellular level, not by theory, but by experience. A God who understands what it is to be in the womb and be in danger in the womb. A God who knows what it's like to be a baby. A God who knows what it's like to be a child. A God who knows what it feels like to go through pubescence in teen years. Thank you, Lord. I am in the process right now with not myself. That happened. But in my parenting. <laughs> No, okay. Um, a God who knows what it's like to have his voice crack uncomfortably. I was so embarrassed when I was 12 because every time I answered the phone, they said, Lisa. That's back in the home phone days. And they'd be like, hey, Lisa. And I'm like, so I would start answering the phone. Hello. But then it would go back to the high pitch. It was the pubescent years were tough. Jesus, you know, Emmanuel. Who knows what it's like to work a long day in a normal job for most of his life. It's amazing. 
these four words, I, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but something's happened to me in these four words. You know when you read something and it's, it's like, no, that's mine. That's accessible. I can enter those. There's a door there. And I'm trying to invite you this morning to walk into that door called the presence of God where everything is available to you. And it's not just available to you today. It's actually the great secret. It's always available. But these four words held together provoke miracle of miracle, wonder of wonder. God is with us. Just take the first one. I mean, I could preach for weeks on every word. Let's just take wonderful. The word means what you think it means. Full of marvel. Full, it could mean full of miracle. When you step in to the presence of God, it is full of miracle. Is that awesome? That's amazing. It's full of everything you can't do. It's full of everything you can't understand. It's full of wonder. And I felt like the father's like, have you lost your wonder, Adam? Or are you lost in wonder? Those are two very different realities. I want you to move from familiar with an old story and do utter fascinations like the angels who keep falling down in my presence. I want you to be lost in wonder. And these words held together provoke such wild wonder. What is a baby doing who comes into the time-space continuum being called the everlasting father? Can you understand why this was a difficult prophecy to comprehend? Wait a second. The uncreated God is a, is a branch that's growing? How is God, who is infinite, now growing? How is a baby, a child, the mighty God who when Job spoke, I'm speaking to you, Keon, ready? This is you. Brace yourself like a man. This is Keon's testimony, how he got saved. Brace yourself like a man. And, and I want you to tell me who laid the foundations of the earth. What else did he say, Keon? Yes. Yeah, when I told the stars to get in their place. So Keon was in a, in a bathroom, and God met him and saved him with this verse. And I'll never forget it. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. Like, what is the mighty God doing here with us? Here, here's what I've come, come to think, okay? The more I see God's infinite greatness the more I marvel with his intimate witness. Can I say it again? The more I see God's infinite greatness, the more I'm like, what the heck? You're here? You see, when he became a human being, he became a human being forever. One person in the triune 
Godhead ruling the universe has two hands and two feet and two eyes and a nose. There is a human being in the Trinity holding your humanity in the presence of God. Do you see? It's not how good your quiet time is if you can enter the presence of God. It's not if you did sin yesterday or didn't sin today. There's a human holding your humanity in the presence of God. This is the greatest secret on earth. It is accessible to you all day and all night. Nothing can take you out of the presence of Emmanuel. There's a human in the Trinity. I'm just still talking about wonderful right now, okay? I haven't gone to counselor, mighty God, or any of that. Like, please sit in the revelation of Emmanuel. How is it that the self-existent origin entered creation and experienced every single thing? It says he was made like us, in every way, yet without sin. There's no one on earth who can say, God just doesn't understand. Emmanuel. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Isn't that a stunning verse? I've always thought about it. Like, the God who gave me a mind is so humble that he lets me use the mind he created to think him away with my own mind. Who has entered the mind of God? Like, what an incredible God. He creates the world. He puts on skin and steps into the story, and the ones he made do not receive him or recognize him. And it's, it's no wonder this is a kind of intense prophecy to gr grapple with and comprehend. Partially, they didn't recognize him because he was from Galilee. I'm just, this is bonus material. Israel's Listen, Israel's driven nationalism kept them from interpreting the scriptures rightly and kept them from recognizing Jesus and the kingdom. For they said, though it's written in Isaiah 9, no prophet can come from Galilee. Why? Because Galilee was a cosmopolitan place filled with Gentiles, looked down on by the religious Jews. And so what good could come from Nazareth and what prophet could ever come from Galilee? And in their narrow nationalism and religious zeal, they misinterpreted scripture and they missed the kingdom of the Lord. We may have this problem in America right now. I'll leave that up to your judgment. And Matthew picks up on this. Matthew 4, ready? This is crazy. He leaves Nazareth. Why? Because they try to throw him off a cliff in his hometown. That's uncomfortable. And so then he comes to where does he go? Capernaum, by the sea. And then Matthew reaches back in the geograph. It's like calling a part of the uh, earth the Byzantine Empire. Okay, this is what he does. He goes and he goes, 
Jesus was walking in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. He pulls geography out of 700 years, and he goes, I'm just trying to let you know, Isaiah 9 is happening. Like, and then he quotes Isaiah 9, and he goes, today it's fulfilled in the land of Galilee. They're in great darkness. They're waiting to be saved. And there's one on two legs walking, bringing the light of heaven's creation into darkness. It is fulfilled. Now, we begin to see the embodied reign and rule of God in Jesus. Look at him. The wise counselor is in the flesh. He is confounding religious leaders, and he's instructing any humble, teachable person who wants to learn. And Jesus' wisdom is astounding. Do you know when you enter the presence of God, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, whether they be practical, small, big, huge, complex, for all the earth's problems are waiting in the presence of Emmanuel, wonderful counselor who made all of the earth and cosmos and holds it together by the word of his power. And there he is, wonderful counsel in the flesh. And what about mighty God? He's subverting powerful empire in all of its greed and pride and pleasure, and he's empowering the poor and lifting them up and giving them a place at the table. Mighty God. And he's touching them, and they're being restored. He's doing miracles, but he's not doing them for his glory. He's doing them to show the kindness and goodness of his Father. He's commanding creation. Mighty God is in the flesh, walking around Galilee for three years. What about the everlasting Father? Can't we see him? The open, forgiving arms of mercy. He's telling the story. You've blown it all, but the Father's waiting for you. In the flesh, we have the everlasting Father waiting to secure those who felt abandoned, rejected, and alone all their lives and saying, welcome home into the arms of the Father. Jesus is one with the everlasting Father. Yes, go on, Keon. Come on, I need a little help here. Thank you. Jesus is welcoming them. He's bowed down in the dirt saying, do any condemn you? Neither do I. Everlasting Father. Oceans of mercy. He's destroying religious legalism and he's liberating with love. This is the great love of the everlasting Father. What about the Prince of Peace? Well, what it means, peace is not just tranquility, mindfulness, the absence of war and conflict. No, peace is a robust word that means I gather up all the broken parts in all of your being, in all the world, and I make it whole again. He rules for restoration. You could rename it, the Prince of Peace, the ruler of restoration. Yes? Can you say that with me? Ruler of restoration. And he's walking around, and he's restoring the leper back to their family. He's taking the withered hand, and it grows out again. He is restoring relationships. He's crossing the divide of ethnic separation. He is reconciling and restoring. He is the prince of peace in the flesh. And when you enter his presence, guess what you enter? Restoration. Wholeness. 
shalom. Every day, anywhere, work, night, day, with your kids, playground, shopping. Please, God, I need Prince of Peace when I'm shopping. Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom. All right, let's look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This kingdom, which started with a man 33 years, dying on a cross, raising from the dead, giving his spirit to ordinary people, has continued like a seed through the earth to increase and increase. How does his reign and rule increase? Through every single born-again, transformed life on the earth. That's what he's doing. And you know what? His kingdom is here my life has been transformed. Many have been transformed, but it is also not yet. Restoration is not complete. So we look and we wait for him to return again. You know what that is called? Advent. We're waiting for the second advent. The kingdom is now, but the kingdom is not yet. And we say, how long? Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, right? But until that time, we are here asking for the increase of his government, asking for the presence of Jesus in every place where there is gloom, darkness, oppression, suffering. We're asking for it. Two quick stories. I was crying out for Emmanuel to meet me in this season as the Prince of Peace. I'll share my personal part in just a few minutes. But I was asking God to meet me. I've seen God meet me so many ways as Emmanuel over the years, and I've seen countless ways he has met this church in 17 years. I remember the first time Emmanuel came to be with me. I was a heartbroken kid, and unfailing love filled my body. I'd never felt loved in a perfect way before. I remember having anxiety attacks in my engagement, and the Prince of Peace came and delivered me from oppression and torment. Anyone who was with me in that season will know. I remember when my daughter's skin was 90% covered in psoriasis as a baby and I cried out for Emmanuel and she, he touched her body and 80% of her psoriasis in a day came off of her body. It's the most radical healing I've ever seen. She's still kind of in medical research journals at Children's Mercy for how bad her psoriasis was. But Emmanuel came. But I... If I'm really going to be honest, I look around my life in places in the city and I'm crying out for the increase of his government. Some of you will know that God has made my home the east side of Kansas City for 20 years. And he's not only made it my home, he's made it my heart. And I have longed and I've received so much joy, but I've also experienced so much pain. And, and I've grieved over the disparity and justice that is in the east side of our city that was created by racism and greed and power in this city and its history. You cross one road in our city and it changes ethnically and demographically by 80%. That wasn't accidental, that was strategic and that was oppression. And I've grieved over it. I was up late with my friend Portia and Samuel at a retreat and we were crying out and Gary was there and we were talking about the east side and I was telling them, we, they both grew up on the east side, Samuel still lives there and I was, we were talking about it and 
Portia shared with me, she said there's six zip codes in our city. And in those zip codes, there's a 20-year less life expectancy. It's actually, to be precise, 18, done by the Community Health Organization. 18 years less you will live if you live in those six zip codes versus the wealthiest zip code in KCMO. While we pray here, if you live across one road and your skin color, because of injustice, is a different skin color than mine, you will likely live 18 years less in Kansas City. I don't know about you, but that is, I'm like, Emmanuel. So I was, I'm fasting and praying this week. Julie was on a fast health stuff, and I joined her in prayer, and another brother that I was praying with. It was profound. And I was asking God, I need to meet the Prince of Peace, because ever since she told me, I have been gripped by that. I was already gripped. It's my daily drive. I drive 50 blocks on the racial dividing line for 20 years, and I pray. But something happened to me when I heard that reality. And God answered me in a small way but a powerful way. I met with my friend Daryl this week, and Daryl told me the story of living on the east side. He lives in the zip code where you will live the least amount in the city. He's lived there for 13 years with his wife, Stephanie, and they have been cultivating a seed of the kingdom. They're now working with the teens of the teens they started working with 20 years ago, and now they've raised up six home churches on the east side of Kansas City. Guys, he walked in on Friday, and it was like the hope and peace shalom bringer walked into my office, and something left in my heart. God, Emmanuel, is in the city. It's not just murder statistics. There are people over there bringing Emmanuel there. They have gone out in the community with, with like a dozen teenagers, and they have literally asked for the assets of all the community, saying, what do you want to bring to the community? And they've gathered that information, and they've now started the East Side University, where people in the community teach people in the community, and they raise the community together. Why? Because this is crazy. Here's what he said to me. He said, Adam, there are no God-forsaken places. Think about that for a second. Emmanuel is in the worst war zone in the world. Emmanuel is in the middle of the most devastated, oppressed place in our city. Emmanuel is there. No place is God forsaken. But then he looked back at me and he said, but there are places the church has forsaken. So a light has walked in the darkness. His name is Daryl and Stephanie and a bunch of teenagers that believe God's presence is already in the people of the east side and guys I want to be a part of it amen and and wherever else you guys go Emmanuel goes praise God now I'm also crying out for Emmanuel in my own life all right we're right at time this is good we're on time I'm also crying out for Emmanuel in my own life because I have been predisposed by brokenness, personality, and all manner of way to deep bouts of worry and anxiousness. It's been there since I was like in second grade. I remember getting an ulcer in my stomach because I couldn't do cursive perfectly. I mean, that's, that's weird. That's like a lot of pressure on a second grader. 
I have had to be perfect at everything all of my life. And that means the government has been on my shoulders, not on Jesus's. That's a lot to carry. There's only one perfect one last time I checked, and it's not Adam. And God has been working on this in me since I was about 23. Beloved, 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 beloved. But I came back from sabbatical, and I felt like the Lord said, I want, to, I want you to live in peace. So I went on this fast, and I was crying out, and I met with my spiritual director on um, Thursday. And you know when an answer from heaven comes? I'm giving testimony because I believe God's going to meet everyone in this room. You know when God just meets you? We're there in this spiritual director. It's on Zoom thing. And I'm there, and as we're in the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit takes me back to the first prophetic word I ever got when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Before God spoke to me, a father in the face spoke, and here's what he said. He said, you're like a boat, and the waves and winds are crashing over the boat. He said, but the picture's changing, and the sea is becoming like glass. And then he said this, God is going to give you peace. And when he said peace, the power of the Holy Spirit filled my body. That's interesting. I don't usually think of peace with knock you on the ground power, but that is shalom in the Bible. Peace that heals, restores. And when I was sitting there, I began to weep on the call. And he began to speak to me. And he said, when I spoke that, I wasn't speaking over the moment. I was saying, and you will have peace to the end of your life. I will perform this. I don't know if it's today or tomorrow, but I've got a whole group of men that I'm in discipleship relationship with. We are contending for each other in the areas of freedom. And mine is, I want to live in the full realm of the Prince of Peace. If you think about me, crush the head of the serpent. I want to live in radical, restorative peace. Why? Because I want to be a part of shalom in the city. And you cannot bring what you do not possess in your being. It isn't just for us. Every breakthrough you get is the blessing for all nations. And in the presence of God is all that you long for and all that you need and all that you are ever made for is in the presence of God. And guess what? You don't have to be special or anything to be in the presence of God. Jesus made a way. Emmanuel, God with you. So there's a simple invitation, if we can close our eyes. I'm going to welcome uh, Jack back up, too. We've got the rest of the time, and there's a good bit of time, which is awesome. And I want to welcome us to close our eyes, and I want to remind us that the greatest secret on earth is unlimited continual access to the presence of God. I guarantee you, well, if the Lord does what he's done with me, he reminds me all throughout the day, oh, right now, wonderful counsel. But what's interesting is I have a way of going ahead and doing what I think without asking for wonderful counsel. I face an impossible situation, and instead of going, mighty God, in the presence of Jesus, I just try to do it, or I, or I give up. And he goes, no, when you hit an impossible barrier, mighty God. When I'm feeling alone or scared, which happens all the time, he goes, I want to secure you, everlasting Father. 
When something feels chaotic or confusing, he brings me to his counsel and he says, Prince of Peace. And so in the presence of God is all that we need. But we always have a choice to enter or not enter. That's what's wild. But this morning, I had like a gift of faith. As we ask this question, what is my soul waiting for? That every one of us was going to be able to enter the presence of God, Emmanuel, and find what we need. So I want you to do that. Ask again, what is my soul longing for? What is my soul waiting for? What is my soul most need in the presence of God? And we're going to make a space of encounter in this room, which means a space where the living God meets his people. And what I'm going to invite you to do I'm going to remind you that God left heaven to move towards you. And I'm going to invite you, when you're ready, to move back towards the God who has moved towards you in Emmanuel. You can move towards God however you want. It might be through kneeling. It might be through finding an empty space. It might be by doing the old school, come kneel at the altar. Man, I love altar moments. But I'm going to invite you to to move in some way as an act of, I am coming in to Emmanuel today. There's going to be elders here to pray. Some of you might want someone just to hold space with you in the presence of God. And they'll be available to pray with you. But it doesn't really matter because Emmanuel wants to meet you. Emmanuel wants to meet you. Some of you might sit there going, I don't know what my soul wants. Make a move towards Emmanuel and you might find out. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We, we can linger here. We've got another 10 minutes without pressure. And we can linger here. And I want you to just, as you are led, move towards Emmanuel, the one who loves you and is with you. All you need is in the presence of God.